Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bus Stop Podcast. I am Eric Wesley, your host, as usual. And today, our podcast focuses on our Mexico operations and Mexico Independence Day. Today, September 16th, is Mexico Independence Day because on this date in 1810, a Catholic priest in the town of Dolores named Miguel Hidalgo y Castilla was tired of the oppression Mexico was receiving from Spain, who ruled the country at that time. Father Castilla rang his church bell and delivered a speech now known as the Grito de Dolores, which means cry of Dolores, demanding the end of Spanish rule. Well, this started the brutal Mexican War of Independence, which lasted over a decade. And finally, on August 24th, 1821, Spain withdrew and officially recognized Mexico as an independent country. So here today to talk with me more about Mexico Independence Day and our Mexico operations is Regional Vice President, Jose Moreno. Jose, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Eric. Thank you very much. Well, Jose, let's begin uh, by talking about Mexico Independence Day and you describing for us what that day is like in Mexico. Um, Just to point out, as as you uh, very well know, that uh, this is the official Mexico uh, Independence Day celebration and holiday rather than the Cinco de Mayo that it's observed and celebrated throughout the United States, which came in a little bit later uh, for, uh, for different reasons. Um, however, going back to Mexico Independence Day, it is important to mention that it is a huge holiday in Mexico. Um, and, and it's not only tomorrow, which is the official day, the 15th of September, or the day after that is the 16th of September, but it's the, the, the whole month of September that it's known as, as the month of the country or the month of the Republic. Um, things that you'll see in Mexico that are that, that are very interesting throughout the month is that you'll see uh, restaurants preparing a special uh, menus around the September dates and the holidays, and and also you will see people uh, decorating their homes, bringing out their flags, and you'll see people all over all over the cities uh, at the corners selling um, selling hats, uh, selling uh, decorated decorative. Uh, uh, flags as well, or other stamps or, or, or things that represent the, the Mexico flag and the Mexico's emblem in order to, to wear it, use it, and proudly show it throughout the month of September. That is what it's a little bit about that. On the other hand, it's about, uh, about re, uh, a lot of remembrance of, about the, the, the story and the history or history about how we came up to, to, uh, to this moment. In, uh, in a nutshell, what was happening uh, at the beginning of of the 19th century and just after the French Revolution and the American independence were wars. Uh, throughout uh, Latin America, there was a, a huge um, hunger for, uh, uh, for uh, having uh, self-ruled uh, governments. They, they didn't want the, uh, a monarch, a king that was living uh, 10,000 uh, kilometers away in another continent and another country to rule their lives. And that's how this started, actually. And as you as you very well mentioned, um, um, uh, Miguel Hidalgo put together a group of intellectuals, 
monarchs and, mon and, and even the, the church came along and that's, uh, this was produced or, or that's what started the Mexican Independence Day Act. So it's my understanding that uh, every year is part of the celebration, which uh, I didn't realize it was a month long celebration that you just told us about. Uh, the president of Mexico delivers the Grito de Dolores speech and rings the, the bell that Father Castilla did. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the actual bell or, or uh, the, the actual bell is still in the town of Dolores. Uh, there, is a, there is a replica that it's uh, right there in, in uh, the National Palace that it would be uh, our white, a white house, if you want. And every 15th of September, well, there is a big party organized by the, by the government, by the president, for all the diplomats and all the foreign dignitaries that are invited to the occasion. And, there, are, uh, and there, there is a big party in, the, in a huge esplanade that it's just, uh, just in front of the National Palace that has a, a, it's a popular party, a kind of a fair if you want. It has food vendors, it has uh, beer vendors, it has a lot of music, decoration, uh, uh, and people gather there. And, in, and this happens in every city, in every town hall of every city. It's not only Mexico City, but Mexico City is the largest one that you would probably see anything north of a couple million people that night um, at, this, at this moment where the president uh, gets out of the of the palace into a special balcony, the central balcony, and he actually does the cries, the cry of Dolores, who actually calls for for uh, all the all the independent uh, uh, all the independent war generals that come together and, and the president will mention all these names of all these generals, one after the other one after the other one, and then he will ring the bell and swing the flag one one side to the other one. And that's that's probably the, the biggest tradition we have in that day. The, the cry of the Lord is done by the, either the president or either a mayor uh, in any of the major cities or even at the Mexico embassies uh, uh, all over the country, the world. Sounds like a huge event um, for someone like me who's never seen it. Is it much like what we see here in the United States for July 4th or is it very different? It would, I mean, it would follow the same path. It, it, you, you will have the, the cities and the streets decorated with the, with the flags, with symbols. You will also have uh, fireworks after the cry of Dolores in many of the of the big cities. You will have food festivals, ring fest festivals. You will have uh, dedicated food or dedicated menus uh, for the for the occasion, especially even certain plates that are only served during the month of September, for example. But it's it's pretty much it's pretty much the same the the, the same feeling and, and the same thing that, that we've seen. Probably the only the only big difference would be that that the, there is no official event. I haven't seen any official event of, on the fourth of July as you have the president ringing the bell and, and making the cry of the Lord. That would be the only difference. Other than that, the the, the ambience is great. Everybody is out celebrating. It's it's pretty much in the on the same on the same path. Now, is there anything special that Greyhound does at our terminals uh, to commemorate the day? Yeah, of course we uh, we decorate we, we decorate our terminals with uh, with the flags, with with the garnals and, and all the rest of the stuff. And we 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 have done not every year, but we we have done in a couple of years a uh, couple of raffles, and the raffles will be kind of of asking kids or or 
or young teenagers um, questions about uh, Mexican history, Mexican independence, and then giving away uh, uh, um, Greyhound giveaways like hats, t-shirts, pens, pencils, or even a couple tickets uh, to travel uh, or to travel around. And we do it. We 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 didn't do it last year because uh, because of uh, COVID and the pandemic. But we usually do it every. Year. Well, let's shift gears now and, and talk more about our Mexico operations, uh, which has been going for six years now, uh, since first launching our international and domestic service in 2015. Uh, what are your thoughts on this accomplishment? It seems like the time is just flying by. Yeah, it, it, it seems that it was only yesterday when we were inaugurating those terminals down there. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's been quite a ride. Entering into a new country, it's it's a challenge per se. But then entering into a country like Mexico, which probably has the fourth largest uh, bus passenger industry in terms of volume in the world, mm. uh, it, it denoted it denoted a lot a lot of challenges. Uh, we were uh, uh, we, we had a pretty clear plan on on how we wanted to do this since the beginning, and we actually stuck to the plan. And we just uh, we we just played the plan, and that allowed us to change some uh, paradigms in the in the Mexico industry, as the fact that nobody believed at the time in the industry that uh, that uh, flexible fares would be something that Mexico could see or online sales would would uh, would be something that could be successful in Mexico, and we proved all these people wrong over the last six six years. We have proved them wrong because we have been able to, to uh, as I was uh, saying, to, to break these paradigms and, and myths about the, the industry and have a little bit of consolidation in, in, a, very, in a very small segment of the, of, of the country, of the people that travels in Mexico. Of course, it's a, it's a big market, uh, a big city per market going from Monterrey to the border, but it's only one of the, of the markets that you will see in Mexico where probably uh, around 94% of the population uses the bus as the first mean of transportation. But, uh, but we proved ourselves that we could do it. We proved the, the industry that we could do it. And most importantly, we proved the, our customers that, that have been loyal to us since the day one, since the first day they rode with us. They, they, have, st they have stayed with us and that, 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 that has been great as well. Uh, after five years, we, we thought that at this point in time, we would have probably a couple more routes, a few more buses, a few more terminals. However, COVID and the last 18 months had, uh, had changed everything. Uh, somehow th there's been a lot of challenges over the last couple of years, but, uh, but, uh, but in general, uh, th this was the moment where we, we should have a, a, very, uh, a very solid and consolidated operation in in more than the couple routes that we are operating today do you anticipate us expanding in the future i guess once we are able to get past uh the pandemic and all yes yes of course and that, that's on the plan you know we have uh right now we, we had it since the beginning since even before coming in uh but but now that we have been in for uh, for a certain numbers of years we have uh, this uh, enormous uh, uh, amount of uh, data and information and intelligence about the um, about the, the industry and the passenger patterns and what they like, what they don't like. 
that uh, we, we are ready to go for more, actually. We are ready to go for more. A couple of examples of that, it's just before COVID hit, we were able to start our second route out of Monterrey. And, and as you know, we, we, we started with the Monterrey to the Laredo Gateway route. And then um, just, uh, just before COVID, we were able to open our second route that was Monterrey to uh, McAllen uh, in Texas. And then we have, uh, even through, uh, throughout COVID, we, we were able to put together a plan to present to the authorities to open a, a third route or expand our Monterrey operation southwest into the city of Saltillo, which is the capital of the state of Coahuila and would be the, 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 next, the next city on the route into central Mexico. We're, we already filed for that route. For, uh, the, the, there's been uh, delays on the part of the government to approve it uh, due to COVID and all this, but we are expecting that. And from there, uh, from there, one, once that we can prove that we can expand our network to, uh, into short city pairs that do not necessarily require to build a terminal or to have a terminal, but only have a flag stop, I think we have a good chance to keep uh, expanding, uh, expanding the network further, uh, further south into central Mexico. And probably why not opening new routes in, in the rest of northern Mexico in the state of Chihuahua going into Texas or probably the state of Sonora going into California or Arizona. Do you foresee we would eventually be in Mexico City? Yes, that's that's uh, that's a goal, that's a dream. And if you ask anybody that works for Greyhound in Mexico, we'll tell you the same. You just uh, you, you just give it, give us a little bit more time and probably a couple more buses, and we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, great, great. You mentioned uh, the pandemic uh, earlier. How challenging has that been for our service in Mexico? Well, uh, at the beginning, when it hit and nobody knew anything about it, uh, it had the same effect that, uh, that it had here in the U.S. From one day to another, we went down from uh, uh, to, to operate probably less than 10% that what we were running from one day to the other. It, it, was, it was chaotic. And then after that, in the month of uh, late, late March, the U.S. put these uh, border restrictions for uh, tourists traveling by land into the U.S. from Mexico, which which pretty much uh, annulled uh, probably 40% of our passenger traffic between uh, or 50% of our passenger traffic, total passenger traffic, and 80 or 90% of our international passengers. Uh, the, the first couple of months were very difficult. We needed to uh, take uh, drastic decisions on cutting miles, cutting um, hours, cutting cutting staff, we, we had to negotiate with our union uh, and uh, which actually were very supportive um, and to negotiate a redu reduction on the work week hours and the salary as well for many of the employees. Uh, we practically shut down, completely shut down some shuttle operations at the border in Matamoros into the valley and, and Juarez uh, to El Paso as well because there were no passengers at all. Um, that, that lasted for, uh, for the first couple of months. And then after that, uh, somehow the, the, Mexican, the, 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 Mexican, the Mexicans that are uh, either US residents or citizens realized that they, they could travel by land into Mexico and then come back with no restrictions. Yeah. So somehow, somehow uh, they, they realized that throughout the summer last year and they started traveling and, and travel started picking up particular for international travel, particularly for, for US uh, citizens or residents that were coming back and forth. 
to whom there are no restrictions to come in. And then on the other hand, what, what, uh, what actually help us uh, keep the operation running is the domestic market. It, it, there, there was still an important domestic market between Monterrey and Nuevo Laredo. And what happened and between Monterrey and Reynosa as well. And what happened is that our competitors reduced, uh, reduced probably in 80, 85% of their service. That is huge and they have a lot of daily schedules. We reduce our service uh, down to probably 60, 65%. We, we were running uh, about 35% of what we were running before. However, uh, we, and we moved some schedules around time-wise. So we were able to actually uh, had a little bit uh, uh, of increase in our market share in, between Monterrey and Nuevo Laredo and Monterrey and Reynosa because we were offering the service at, uh, at the right price at the right moment. And, and that helped us a lot with the, with, the, with the domestic market as well. On the other hand, uh, we need to implement all, all the safety regulations, safety procedures, not only the ones that are, were implemented by Mexico, by uh, Greyhound as a company in general, but as well, uh, whatever was implemented by the Mexican government as well. There were a few rules there that, that actually we needed to implement it that were very harsh in terms of who could uh, come to work and who couldn't. And we, we needed to abide to that and, and, and then figure out how to keep operating on that. And then the third thing is that, um, Mexican government didn't help any Mexican companies at all. There were no, 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 nothing. I mean, nothing. No, so zero. Uh, on the contrary, probably they put more pressure for us to continue operating and continue uh, con uh, continue having uh, all the the current staff or the, the staff that we had and do not uh, do not furlough anybody. Uh, but but we overcame all that. We overcame all that and and. Since uh, last year, since probably August last year, we have seen an increase in, in, in loads and increase in sales that continues up today. Up today, we are running probably uh, uh, only 40, only 35% or 40% uh, uh, less miles that we were running before COVID. And, and our loads and yields are better than uh, even before COVID as well. And that was also because uh, certain uh, scheduling and pricing strategies that were taken along with the commercial department that were very functional. And uh, with all that as well, the other thing that was very important is that, uh, uh, that we started a, a big, a very strong campaign uh, of presence in social media throughout COVID as well, in order to keep our, our online sales, because those were the ones that actually started decreasing faster than the, than the walk up uh, sales. At the beginning of the of the pandemic, and that's why we decided to, to go strong in social media, very very grassroots, very organic, nothing big, but but a lot of presence, and that that helped a lot to maintain, particularly the domestic passengers coming. Sounds good. So as you all keep plugging away and um, at transporting customers throughout Mexico. What's one thing you'd like our listeners to know and remember about Greyhound Mexico uh, as we get ready to close out? Well, a, a couple of things. First of all, I want to thank everybody involved in every department in, in the whole organization of Greyhound Lansing because of the support. We have always been supported by, uh, by, by every department in the U.S., but uh, particularly through, through COVID. 
everybody has been so supportive and, uh, and they have responded so fast and they have been able to help us in, in many, many ways that we are very grateful. And, and that is a big part of why we, we, we've been able to continue operating in Mexico. That, that is, uh, that, that's something I, I wanted to say and recognize. And then the other thing is that, well, we are in Mexico to stay. We are not going anywhere soon. So uh, we, we, we are looking, as you said before, we are looking uh, south into central Mexico and, and Mexico City and other cities in central Mexico, Guadalajara, Puebla, which are actually the largest, the largest portion of the bus transport, passenger bus transportation market in Mexico. We are also consolidating our, our uh, partnerships down in Mexico as well, particularly with Estrella Blanca. Uh, we are at a level of partner, uh, partnering with them that we've probably never been before. Uh, uh, in in terms of what we are uh, we are what we are receiving from them in terms of passengers and opportunities to open counters at Centrales, and uh, and we are here to continue. So so we very well might in the short term uh, might need to ask for a few more bosses in order to to continue expanding the operation in Mexico. <laughs> There's your Christmas wish right there exactly. for Mexico, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, Jose, we want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. It has definitely been a pleasure talking with you. And I do look forward to talking with you again as a guest. Thank you very much for inviting me and, and anytime, Eric. And thank you very much. And thank you very much for your work as well with these podcasts that are a great means of communication. Well, thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you as well for joining us today. And be sure to come back for the next episode of the Bus Stop Podcast. Until then, remember, you are Greyhound. So be first, be safe, be stellar.